1 Samuel chapter, thir- chapter 16, going to be reading verses 1 through 13, and uh, this is uh, continuing our series about He's still king, let him reign. And uh, so as we read these verses, this now is the word of God. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. You saw the VBS kids who were saying earlier, just a representation of all the kids, of course, that we had here this week. I've always loved Vacation Bible School ever since I was a kid until now. My dad loved Vacation Bible School. He was always involved in VBS as a minister. Uh, of the gospel, very much, much more involved in VBS probably than I've ever been in VBS. But I love just to sit back and watch all of it take place. In fact, I appreciate all of our volunteers, all of you who went above and beyond what was required from our youth to our adults. Not only the fact that you spent days, got up early, were here, and you know, it kind of gets to be a tired kind of afternoons after it's all over, but also because they went up and above and making sure that everything that was done, it was pointed to the lesson of the day, story of the day, pointed to Jesus, and continued to help the kids learn from crafts to snacks to music, everything was, was seen that it was a part of that. And, you know, a, a church that uh, does VBS well and points to Jesus, it is a great catalyst for many children coming to know Jesus and reaching families for Christ. And we had many who came to know Jesus for the first time, or many who are asking questions. And we're still talking with parents and letting them know, of course, if as their children come ready to accept Christ or for baptism, we want to help them with those steps and give tools for that. And even today, we've said that if you've made a decision for Christ, want to come for baptism, that you can do that even today as a candidate. And we'd be glad to make that public. It's important, of course, that we 
stand up for our faith and stand before others. And there may be some. So we're preparing you now that at the end of the service, I'm going to be standing down here at the front. Brother Bobby's going to be standing down here as well. And if you want to come, you just take our hand and say, I'd like to have accepted Jesus or I'd like to accept Jesus or I want to come and be a candidate for baptism and any of those things. And we'll, we'll help you from there. So today you be praying if there's a decision to be made now or sometime in the near future because we anticipate that in the next, today or next few weeks we'll see many kids will be making that uh, certainly uh, public uh, as well. Now, over the last two or three decades, I've often taken our VBS theme and I've maybe done a sermon series around that or the verses that are used in Vacation Bible School, but I decided not to do that this year because we've been doing this series on He's Still King and looking at uh, 1 Samuel and the first kings of Israel as well. But something happened to where what happened in Vacation Bible School and this sermon series kind of intersected. Uh, because it was one of our lessons happened to be about the anointing of David and the first uh, coming of David, and this was coming. And I, I, in fact, I, when I saw that in the curriculum, I kind of paused, and then I told the children, I said, you know, you've heard the story about the anointing of David and today, this week, and I'm going to be preaching that this Sunday. So some of you, they, they probably could tell you the story better than I can, but we'll tell you the story anyway. So we excited. Now, actually, for me, it's, it's kind of momentous that this happened Maybe not so much for everybody else, if not by coincidence and maybe providential that the Lord has a message for each one of us today. In fact, I hope that you're here today. And I want you to be listening to the story and to the message as if God has brought you here for a purpose and as if He has a message here that is particularly for you today. And you get to join in with the 300 plus kids and volunteers who are involved in Vacation Bible School and some of the lessons they learned as well. We've read today about David and we'll be hearing more about David in the coming weeks. So this is kind of a transition time. We've been talking about King Saul. Now a little bit more focus on David. As a matter of fact, in July, it's going to kind of be a, what do we call it? A second series on the same theory, on the same theme on uh, He's Still King. This one's going to be called He's Still King, Bring on the Giants. Because we're going to learn more and more about how to trust in Him. So we're going to ask the question... Today, and hopefully you've got your notes maybe to help follow along as with nothing. If not, they're going to be on our jumbotron for that. But So the question is, what's so special and what's so unique about David? Knowing that David was the one chosen by God to be his king over Israel. We began in chapter 16. It says, Samuel was grieving over King Saul. Now, King Saul had not died, but Saul, the first king of Israel, had forsaken God and the Spirit of the Lord had left him or was going to leave him. Now King Saul had started out well. He had started out, had a couple of military uh, battles that he won, one against the Ammonites, another against the Philistines. And in the beginning he gave credit to God for the victories and seemed to be well on his way to becoming God's king. But then times got tough on him and some of his army had left and he no longer waited on God. He disobeyed God. Many of God's commands, including completely destroying the enemy in which God had told him to do. And another time he was, uh, maybe the same time, he kept some of the things that were to be dedicated to the Lord. He kept for himself. In fact, he, he had his uh, Israelites to construct and set up a monument to himself. And God told the prophet Samuel that he regret making Saul king over Israel. Let's look at an example of his half-heartedness. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 26. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24 said, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people 
and obeyed their voice. Kind of an excuse there that they say, well, uh, it, the people made me do it. Verse 25 says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin. Return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Verse 26 says, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. It appeared to be somewhat uh, perhaps uh, genuine or sincere, but true repentance does not come up with an excuse for why someone sins against God. But consider why Samuel, the prophet, grieved so over Saul. One, he certainly was grieving for Israel and for the direction in which Israel was going at that time. Also, as an older prophet of God, he looked upon young Saul perhaps as trying to help him to follow God maybe as a son in the faith or perhaps at least as a mentor to be the godly leader God had called him to be, but that was not going to happen. In fact, judgment was going to come upon Saul. If not, all of Israel, things did not change. So the Lord asked the prophet Samuel, how long will you grieve? Well, it might remind us of the New Testament verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Some of you have been studying that in your Bible study on Sunday morning, but it, where it says in 1 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4:13, it says, "We grieve, but not as those who have no hope." Now you could have reason to grieve today. You could be grieving because of the state of the world in which we live. Listen, I'm glad that I do not have the time, nor do I have the inclination to spend a lot of time watching news channels today because I believe it would get me depressed. I probably wouldn't want to leave the house if I watched those things all day. And it does happen to people. You could be grieving because of the financial situation in which you're in or maybe because prices are so high because of how high gas prices are. You could be grieving because of a personal loss or because of a difficult relationship but the Bible says we grieve not as those who have no hope, regardless of the reason in which we grieve. And God told Samuel, how long you, will you grieve? Because God had a plan. God's sending Samuel to Bethlehem. Now, you don't have to hardly know anything about the Bible to know when we mention Bethlehem, it must have something to do with Jesus. And you'd be right. This is a part of the plan that is in preparation for the birth of the Savior. You can know that God has a plan for your life, and you can also know that God's plan has something to do with Jesus. What's so special about David? Well, let's ask, was it because of his hometown, because of Bethlehem? After all, it was David's hometown. It was where the Savior would be born. It had been prophesied that the Savior would be born in the Bible, uh, that it would, be, it would be in Bethlehem. But what made David so unique was not because of his hometown, or it was not because he was in Bethlehem. But this part of the story about Bethlehem reminds us that God has a plan for you in your situation. In this case, it has to do with this familiar story of the anointing of David, the youngest son of Jesse. Do you know when David's first mentioned in the Bible? I know that some of you do, but he's first mentioned in the book of Ruth. Ruth married Boaz. They had a son by the name of Obed, and Obed is the grandfather of David. And he's mentioned that, which helps us to be able to know that uh, the book of Ruth was not written and didn't become part of Holy Scripture until sometime after the story of David came into being. But Ruth, the story of Ruth was preparation for the birth of David in Bethlehem, the great king of Israel. And David is preparation for the birth of the Savior of the world. Many generations later, thousand years later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And don't, don't lose me here, the birth, death, and the resurrection of Jesus is preparation for God's plan for you. 
in your life, regardless of the situation. Now, the Lord's plan was to send Samuel to the home of Jesse, the Bethlehem, and, and, of Bethlehem and anoint one of his sons as his king. God said, I have provided for myself a king. Now, this is a familiar story probably to many of you. The kids heard it in Bible school. But there's a couple of surprises here in this story. At least surprises to me and see if it's not to you. It's surprising to me that the old prophet Samuel appears reluctant and even fearful to do what God had commanded. You think by now that whatever the Lord said, he'd be willing to do regardless of the outcome. But it's a reminder that we're all apt to be reluctant to follow God's plan for us, particularly if it requires great faith. Samuel's to be commended. He's to be commended for his honesty with God about his feelings. You might try it sometime. You might want to be honest with God about how you feel, even if you feel fearful or you feel angry or if you feel frustrated or hurt. But don't stop there. Then listen to God and be ready to submit to the Lord. After all, Samuel had a right to be fearful. The king Saul and the prophet Samuel had a falling out over the king's refusal to follow all of God's commands. And as we'll see, King Saul uh, more and more becomes more and more paranoid as we see more of what's going to take place with David. He's more and more paranoid about anybody that's going to take the kingship away from him, particularly in David's case in the chapters and in the weeks to come. Thus the Lord gave Samuel another reason to go to Bethlehem. Go for a sacrifice to God. And you want to invite, among others, Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Then the Lord said in verse, chapter 16 and verse 3, He said, I will show you what, you what you are to do and anoint the one whom I declare to you. Sometimes, maybe even more often than we like, the Lord decides not to show us everything that's going to be happening in the future. In other words, he waits to see if we're going to be faithful with something before he's going to reveal to us what exactly it is that we're going to do. And sometimes or always it is for our benefit where he's testing and strengthening our faith as well. And it was happening here when God's prophet comes to the town of Bethlehem. The elders of the city are terrified. They know of the falling out of the king and the prophet. There may have been some uh, political polarizing that was taking place there because you see the people wanted a king so much so and they had asked God for a king, they asked Samuel for a king, they wanted so much so that they probably were willing to overlook some of his missteps. Now there may have been some that maybe thought the ends did not justify the means and some who trusted only in God and uh, wanted to follow what all of God's word said. But they... But they would have Samuel as God's representative. So they would see Samuel as coming and would not be terrified. But there are those in Bethlehem who literally uh, had the fear of God put in them when Samuel shows up. And they asked Samuel, said, have you, have you come in peace? Samuel says, Shalom. He said, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And it must have been a sigh of relief. He invited the elders to consecrate themselves to join him in the sacrifice. Now we see that word consecrate, and usually what does it mean to consecrate? Well, it probably had something to do with taking a bath. I mean, they were to get clean, but it was to represent the fact that they were to cleanse themselves spiritually, they were to commit themselves to the Lord. And Jesse and his sons were also invited to the sacrifice and to the feast. And that's significant that Jesse, God had told him, of course. So let's ask the question as we talk more about this, but what's so unique or what's so special about David? 
Was it because of his family? Was it because he was the son of Jesse? Now the lineage of Jesus would run through Jesse and through David and on down until Jesus, a thousand years later that Jesus would be, would be born. And these are significance, of course, but that's not what made David so special or unique. But it does remind us that we need to follow all of the, direct, the Lord's directions and He will reveal more. The sacrifice included a feast, or as we Baptists like to call it, a fellowship supper that was going to take place. But sometime before the supper, Samuel looks over the seven sons of Jesse who have come to the sacrifice. Eliab is the oldest. Now, he must have looked like somebody that God would use as a superhero, six foot three perhaps, we're not told. But because of what's said here, that he must have been tall and good looking. He must have been the quarterback and the power forward for the Bethlehem High School marching sheep herders. He, because as soon as Samuel saw him, he said, this must be the one. He must have reminded him of Saul, who when he was first shown. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 2, I think we've got the verse for you here. 1 Samuel cha- chapter 9 and verse 2 says, And he had a son whose name was Saul. He was the first king of Israel, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was the taller than any of the people. Now, Eliab, the oldest son, and King Saul, the one who's king now, but he's not following God, they had this physical thing going on for sure. And when Samuel saw Eliab, he must have had his hand on the trigger of the horn of oil, ready to anoint him right then and there, but the Lord stopped him and said, this is not the one. Don't look on his outward appearance or how tall he is. Now the central theme of our text is found here in verse 7. We read 13 verses. There's six before verse 7, six after verse 7. So if you've got your Bibles, you notice it's the very center verse that we read just a moment ago because we want to pinpoint, see it as the hub of everything else that we are saying here last part of that verse says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It is the core of all the rest of the story of David. Not just the story here, but David who is going to be God's king. David who's going to have lots of flaws in his life. And we, we see that as we're going to move forward in the, in the weeks to come. And, and beginning in July and forward. And not just his sin with Bathsheba or her husband Uriah, but David's called man's after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because of his faith. And the Bible reveals our heart as the seat of our will and emotion, and not sometimes as we think of our heart, not, excuse me, will and motives, and not emotion. You remember what Jesus said in the New Testament, what comes out of the mouth flows from the heart. And what we allow in our heart, what we see, what we hear, and what we think, and what we touch, we always need to be watching and we always need to be guarding what it is that we're allowing to touch our heart. For true change comes from the inside out. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4, verse 23, he said, Above all else, guard your heart. And everything else you do flows from it. Above all else. So what was it that made... uh, David so unique and so special. Was it because of his appearance? Well, we recognize regardless of what we've read or we're going to say about David's appearance, he probably had brothers who maybe looked the part more than he did. Even King Saul looked more the part. But it reminds us that you need to give your heart to God. 
and to guard your heart every day. Give your heart to God, guard your heart every day. If you're wanting today to be a good reason to come to church, if you're wanting today to make a change of some kind, if the Lord has a word for you today, remember that God sees your heart and He wants to change you from the inside out. You ever watch the show on television, sometimes known by the initials AGT, America's Got Talent? I believe that there are three kinds of contestants that go out for the show for America's Got Talent. Now, just as a side note, does anybody else find it strange? America's Got Talent has four judges, one Canadian, one Brit, a German, and a Colombian. Couldn't they get American judges for America's Got Talent? That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but three kinds of contestants. One of those, I believe, are people who know they don't have a talent, but they've got something so outlandish, so ridiculous, that they're just wanting to get on TV. Now, there's one, and and it makes for some entertainment. And then there's another kind that they think they have talent. Somebody told them somewhere along the line they could sing, they could play an instrument, they could dance, they could do something, but they really don't. And sometimes it's uh, funny, and sometimes it's heart-wrenching as well. Then there are those who genuinely have talent, hope to make a million dollars, and even if they don't win, they probably get discovered and go on to do great things. When it comes to people's hearts, there are three kinds, maybe a little bit corresponding. There are those who know they have a heart problem, they just don't care. And they don't care to do anything about it. Then there are those who think everything is fine, truth is relative, right and wrong really do not matter, and they are misguided about what it is that they need, and they eventually headed for disaster. And then there are those who are genuine and understand their need for God to change them from the inside out. They understand, they know all that they are, all that they need, all that can be provided in this world is dependent on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Know what describes you. You and I need to be genuine, contrite, depending on God more and more so that we become like David, more and more a person that is seeking to have the heartbeat of God. There's perhaps no one in the Old Testament that we know more about their heart than David. Maybe no one more so than in the Bible, except for Jesus, than David. And that's because he wrote, over, he wrote almost half of the 150 Psalms that we have in our Bible, maybe more of some of those that we're not sure who wrote them, that he might have written some of those things. And so because of the songs in which he wrote and the Psalms in which he wrote, we know about his heart. One particularly that we maybe you're familiar with in Psalm 8, it says, verse few verses, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. We see in the heart of David that he gives all majesty and glory to his God. Speaking of hearts, Samuel's heart must have fallen somewhere between verse 10 and verse 11. Because after Eliab, the eldest come before Samuel, then it was Abinadab and then Shammah. And the Lord said, "These he chose neither. These seven sons came before Samuel, but the Lord had not chosen any of these. And then we come to the end of verse 10. It seems Jesse has run out of sons and Samuel is. Is this it? I mean, is is this all you got? Almost reluctantly, Jesse says, well, there's, there's number eight. He's the baby of the family. He's keeping the sheep. Actually, says in verse 11, he is the youngest 
A word that it could also mean that he is the smallest, as if to say he's the runt of the family. Are you sure you want to see him? And Samuel says, we'll wait right here. We'll not sit down. Many, we're not going to start eating till you, bring him, till you go get the boy and bring him in. Now he's keeping the sheep. He's either keeping the sheep because so that all the other brothers could go to the sacrifice and to the feast or because everybody has chores and he's the youngest of the family. He gets the worst of the job, but somebody has to keep and watch the smelly sheep. So let's ask the question, why was it that David, what makes David so special, so unique? Was it because of his occupation as a shepherd? After all, Jesus would be called the great shepherd. Who better to be God's king than the ancestor of Jesus? We see because of what David wrote in his Psalms and because of what Jesus said that we are like sheep who are in need of a shepherd. Now David would take the many of the lessons that he would learn as a shepherd and he would use that in helping to shepherd the people of Israel. He was learning lessons he didn't even know he was learning while he was being a shepherd. Kind of this wax off, wax off type experience. While this is pure speculation... Being a shepherd probably gave him a little bit more time to be able to become such a great musician and be able to write as many songs and psalms that he wrote. But what was made David so special unique was not his occupation. What I'm wondering is, and this may be another surprise to this familiar story, maybe not to you, but why Jesse, his father, did not recognize God's call on his life. You remember the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors? He had 11 brothers. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. But you remember Jacob, of course, loved Joseph and he made him second to the youngest Joseph was. And he made him ruler and leader among his older brothers. Put him in charge of his older brothers. But it seems to me Jesse is surprised Samuel wants to see David the youngest. A common theme in the Bible is how the Lord uses the youngest and often the weakest to call and do amazing things. Perhaps because it maximizes his strength and gives him the glory. We've seen it this past week in Vacation Bible School. We've seen it among our young people and youth whom the Lord wants to use to change their families to affect the community and the world. Even the nation of Israel was called to be God's people not because they were strong, because they weren't. Not because of how many there were, because they did not have many, but simply because of God's choosing, and so that God may be glorified. Listen to the Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29. It says, He gives power to the weak, strength to the powerless. And then we find that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. Speaking of such, anybody ever seen Charles Barkley in a commercial? He's in a lot of them, but particularly maybe the Capital One commercial to where the little girl is choosing sides and she picks Charles Barkley first among the few kids for the pickup basketball game. And then he yells, and pretend I'm saying this in my best Charles Barkley voice, yes, I still got it, I told you she picked me first. Well, the good news of the gospel is for everyone. But he often chooses and powerfully uses the one who's the last chosen in this world. The kid, last chosen or not chosen at all in the playground ritual of picking teams. That's whom God loves. And that's who God chooses. So if you think you're not the kind of person that God can use, 
get ready because God wants to use you. If you think God is lucky to have you on his team, well, get humble so that you can be used. There's a thin line between being confident and being confident in Jesus. And you and I, we must work hard and we must follow close to the Lord to stay confident in Jesus alone. Now, we know David was the youngest. Was he truly the weakest? When David came into the room, when David came into the room and he put his foot on the stage of history for all the world to be able to see him and how God was going to use him, God told Samuel, that's him. He's the one. He's the one that I want you to, to, to anoint. He is the one of my choosing. Much has been made about this description of David in verse 12. Let's, let's read it again. Tor says, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes. And was handsome and the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. He was ruddy. Meaning he may have been pale or reddish, complected, maybe even have had red hair. Not like the rest of his brothers who probably were darker and Middle Eastern looking. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But I got to tell you, compared to how it's described about Saul, the first king of Israel, and even to his older brother Eliab and what was said, probably more of the comparison is he was a cute kid. And not just from this particular description, but because we know the story of when he tried to put on King Saul's armor to go and fight how big it was on him. And even when he came out toward Goliath, Goliath looked at him and saw him and wondered why a kid with a stick was even coming toward him. You find it interesting, some people in the Bible were described a little bit how they looked. In a case like David and like King Saul, we're told a little bit what they looked like, but never are we told anything about what Jesus looked like. But we know what Jesus looked like, don't we? We think Jesus looked like us. Or at least that's what we think. If we had to draw a picture, he'd look a little bit like us. But only Isaiah tells us a little bit about what Jesus looked like. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2 said, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Because what draws us to Jesus is not how he looked, but it's how he loved in his heart for you. So what was it that made David so unique? What made David so unique was his God. It was his God. God is the one who did the choosing, not because of anything that David had or not even because of anything that David would be, but simply because God chose him. Now, some of you that like to fill in your blanks early, you already wrote in probably on that blank heart, so it's okay. What made David so unique was his God what made David so unique was his heart for God as well. Verse 13 says, Samuel anointed David in front of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David and stayed with him from that day forward. Unlike Saul, in verse 14 says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now make sure you caught what it says there about David and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and it never left him. Because that's not unlike us who have become followers of the Lord Jesus on this side of the cross because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of His resurrection, sending of the Holy Spirit, that all those who come upon, it is just all those who follow Jesus as Savior and Lord come into the family of God. It's just like it is with David. The Holy Spirit rushes upon us 
and never leaves. And like David, we have the power and the spirit of Jesus living in, in us. Also, this anointing, this particular anointing should remind us that we serve the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Christ means the anointed one. It's the same word to where we get the word Messiah, that he is the Messiah. We recognize that all those who are followers of Christ follows the one who is the anointed one, that we have the spirit of God living in us and we have the power of God living in us. I know one of the words used to describe David's appearance is ruddy and it's not Rudy. But I cannot help but think of Rudy, Rudiger, who was too small to play football for Notre Dame, but made the team and finally played on the last play of the last game of his senior year. And in the movie, the coach says that, oh, that he wishes he could put the heart of Rudy in the heart of some of his players. I know we could say, I wish you had the heart of David in each one of us. We could say some of that things. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we recognize if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have the heart of Jesus already living in you. If you don't have the heart of Jesus living in you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can have the heart of Jesus living in you today before we are finished here today by asking Christ to forgive you of your sins, asking Jesus to be Savior and Lord. It can happen for you today. We want to encourage you to do that. Certainly that very thing. So let's ask this question. What makes you so special? What makes you so unique? It is our theme for VBS this past week. Shown over and over again, all the curriculum, everything that we had. Because you've been created in Christ and designed for God's purpose. Everyone has been created in Christ as you follow Him, you've been designed for His purpose. And it is our VBS verse, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 for this past week. And it is a uh, New Testament understanding of the very things that we've been talking about and even this Old Testament passage today. For we His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, we heard child after child after child memorize and say this verse this past week. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you continue to be at work in our lives and the life of our church. We thank you, see you at work, and we thank you that we can join in with what you're doing. We pray today, Father, that even now we might recognize that uh, uh, it is because of who you are that we can be called of God and that we can follow you. But we pray, Father, that you may begin to work inside each one of us and change our hearts so that we might become more and more like Jesus. We recognize it begins on the inside. So today, Father, we ask you to come and change us from the inside so that we might be more like Jesus. We thank you for this Old Testament story. We thank you, Father, for the understanding of how it points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come here today and pray, Father, that all of us may grow closer because we've been in your presence today, may become more like Jesus. We pray, Father, if there are those here today, those listening today that don't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, we pray even now, even in these next few moments, they might call upon you, ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their life. Perhaps, Father, someone in this room that needs to pray, ask Jesus, give their heart and life to Jesus today. 
We pray particularly for kids who are involved in Bible school. We pray, Father, that uh, if there's some here today that are ready to stand up publicly and say, I belong to Jesus. Father, we pray they'll be ready to do that or sometime in the near future. But, Father, we pray that your work might be done. And uh, we pray for adults who need to do the same thing. And we thank you, Father, for how you're going to continue to be at work. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.